0: of that story. Did you recognize any part of that? Well, you probably recognize that little part about how a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, but maybe you never knew that that was part of a sign that God gave that the country of Judah was not going to be overrun by the north. You know, at Christmas time, you often hear some of the same Bible passages over and over. And actually, Christians have laid claim uh, to this passage that I just read, at least part of it, uh, as one of the many Old Testament passages, along with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I mean, this should sound a little bit familiar to you, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Uh, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. You've heard that part before you probably also heard the prophet from Micah chapter 5 but out of you bethlehem ephrathah even though you're the smallest of the tribes of jude out of you is going to come forth you know and it, we 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 have those passages and there are many of them and and they all of them seem to have pointed hundreds of years before the time they actually were written to foreshadow the appearance of jesus christ Now, in this instance, the idea that a virgin will conceive and bear a child in Isaiah 7.14 that I just read you is seen being fulfilled, of course, in the birth of Jesus when you read Matthew chapter 1. Now, there are a lot of, I guess I'd say, theological points to be scored by immediately focusing on the virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, Being born outside the cycle of natural birth enabled Jesus to be untouched by the problem of sin. It's part of the incarnation that Jesus was actually born a human being. And so as a sinless uh, person, Jesus could be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. But just as important as the demonstration of God's power that's revealed by the virgin birth, you know, the same God who created the entire world out of nothing, you know, did the exact same thing by creating a child without the presence of a human father to provide the seed. Now, there's little wonder then that uh, most Christians settle on the use of Isaiah chapter 7 and kind of envision the birth of Jesus. But I, I want to suggest to you, and the reason I read the whole story is that you can also learn a lot if you read this passage in its original 8th century context. I'm not saying that we take this passage out of context. I mean, it still is a prophecy of the birth of Jesus. But I think we can learn a lot if we don't get in the habit of always just pulling Bible passages out and forget what's written around them. See, in doing so, if we leave it right where it belongs... In this story, we learn that Isaiah was actually offering a word of comfort for this tiny little nation of Judah. God was going to give them a sign, and guess what? If you listen carefully, he was going to give them a sign whether they wanted it or not. He actually told them, ask for a sign. And he said, I don't want to bother God with a sign. The God says, okay, it's not enough that you trouble one another. You're going to trouble me for a sign. I'll give you a sign. I'm going to give a virgin who's going to have a baby. But you know, the full meaning of that sign was not really centered solely on the birth of that baby. The sign also had something to do with the timing for what God was going to do for his people, despite the massive military alliance That was a raid against them. Assyria and Israel, the northern kingdom, were united in their intent. And they really intended to come down and conquer the southern kingdom of Judah, or at least bring it under the total of authority of an Assyrian king uh, whose name was Tiglath-Pileser. There's another great name in case some of you are planning on having more children or uh, grandchildren. You know, little Tiglath-Pileser. I guess you can call him Tigger. But King Ahaz, uh, and if and you heard this, it's always kind of interesting. I'm going to go back to this a minute. Uh, every time you've got a king in the Old Testament, you've always got a prophet. And it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And you back up at the beginning of this, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. It kind of sets it in history. And during that time, of course, you've got Isaiah bringing these prophecies. But Ahaz was so concerned with this imminent destruction that was about to devastate and destroy his country, that rather than turning to God in prayer, I mean, he almost thought it was like a waste of time. Why bother? Look at all these people coming down here. Uh, he actually began consulting with idols. He actually began consulting with other foreign gods. He tried everything else he could do, kind of like we do sometimes, you know, as a person who told me one time about their problem, and I said, have you prayed about it? And he said, oh, no, has it come to that? I mean, it's like I've tried everything else, or the one that makes pastors feel good is, well, pastor, I've tried everything else, so I've come to talk to you. Well, thank you. That makes me feel real important. But here, he's turning to every other way to take care of his problem other than talk to God about it. So an imminent threat was approaching. No one in Judah, from the king in the palace to the people on the streets, really thought much about survival. They thought they were as good as gone, good as dead. And the people complained against the king. You know, what have you done? You've got us in this horrible situation. How are we going to get out of this situation? And the king was worrying. Uh, uh, you know, and he was worrying and I guess wearying. He was just tired. He was worn out. It's under these circumstances When they were worried and weary that God gave them a sign. You know, have you ever been worried and wearied? Do you think there's anybody in, in our country today that's worried and wearied about what's going on? And see, in the midst of that, when we turn to every other which thing, I don't know how many times in the last couple of days I've wanted to yell at the television and add something. You know, when somebody says the very best thing you can do is go home and hug your children and tell you you love them, I want to say, and don't forget to tell them about Jesus. It's okay if you love them. It's okay if you hug them. That's a good thing. But tell them about Jesus. Bring that sign of the Christ child into that relationship. In these horrible circumstances, God says, I'm going to to give him a sign. And the promise that a child would be born was a promise about the certainty of Judah's future. You guys are worried that this country is going to go under. Guess what? It's going to be here. It's going to be here a long time. In fact, that country is still here today, surrounded by 22 Arab Muslim countries. But it's still here. I mean, the idea of being born of a virgin is a sign of God's power. I mean, the assurance that these two nations about whom Judas seemed to be so concerned, he says they're going to be destroyed before that child ever reaches the age of knowing right from wrong. I mean, it's a sign of God's continuing presence. You're worried about these countries? They're going to be gone. I mean, the name of the child Interesting too. The name of the child was going to be Emmanuel. God with us. Very first church I ever served out of the seminary was Emmanuel Lutheran Church. I thought that was kind of neat. In fact, it kind of broke a string. Nancy and I belonged to a lot of St. John's. It just seemed like I grew up in St. John's. The first place I was teaching was St. John's. The second place I was teaching was St. John's. And we, I thought we I think we were destined to be a member of St. John's our whole life, but we ended up at Emmanuel, or sometimes it's Emmanuel with an E, depending whether you want to do it in Hebrew or Greek, if you've ever wondered, by the way. Emmanuel means God with us. You know, that's more than just a name. You know, today we name people all kinds of things, and sometimes those names really don't have much to do with that person at all. You know, some of you know what your names mean. And I think about Nancy means gracious one. I mean, that kind of fits hers. her. I think my name means courageous one. I'm not sure if that fits me. You know, Some of you have names like that. But I mean, this is the name, Emmanuel, that really means something. It was the promise of God. It was the hope of Judah. And it still is our hope today you got worries. You're weary of it. You're tired. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. Emmanuel's still here. God with us. See, that's the other angle from which we Christians can consider Isaiah chapter 7. God is with us. Just that plain and simple. God was with Judah when the people faced the Assyrians. And God is with this church, First Lutheran Church, in the face of all of any local calamities, any national calamities, in the midst of any global calamities. He's there in the midst of any family calamities you may or may not have. You know, and as did Ahaz, I mean, we might be sometimes inclined to put our faith in our federal budget into weapons and espionage and military alliances. But I'd say in the face of all this, every preacher in the land ought to be saying over and over, fear not, God is with us. Going through some personal struggles, God's with you. Going through some job struggles, God is with us. Going through financial dilemmas, God is with you. Things don't go quite the way you had hoped they would. God's with you. I'm talking to my wife right now. I could be talking to Jimmy. God's with you. I could be talking to Clara. Don't know what's going on. God's with you. Eddie and Pam. God's with you. God's with you. Fear not. See, Advent is when Christians look back on the coming of Jesus as the fulfillment of more than 700 years of Messianic expectation. Kind of what Greg Sabbath was talking about this last Sunday. You know, all of the 300 and some Messianic prophecies that were given 2,700 years ago. But 700 years before Jesus, they were given. But... We don't have to look back at that anymore because all of those 300 plus prophecies all came true. I mean, exactly what he said he would do and be came true. Emmanuel, God with us. However, Advent is also when we look ahead to his second coming. You know, sometimes we don't like to think about that too much. I mean, I would even confess to you sometimes when life is going really good for me, the last thing I really want is for the world to end. You know, if, if the world's going to end, can he wait until after the Super Bowl? Or, I mean, if he's going to come again, can he wait until after my birthday when I get these presents? Or, I mean, if he's going to come again, can he wait till after Christmas? Or, uh, you know, if, if he's going to come again, can he wait until after my 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 new grandchild is born? Or after this wedding? Or... Or whatever. I don't know, am I the only one that ever kind of thinks that way? Sometimes I think I am the only person that thinks that way. Probably not. But I do look forward to God's second coming. I mean, I've even said it before, there's sometimes I wish it would come before church started. Save me. <laughs> Save Gwenny Lou over here. <laughs> Save us both. But see, until that day comes, whenever that day is, and whether we're alive when that happens, which would be kind of a cool thing to see, or whether we're dead and gone, Emmanuel is still there. God with us. You know, the final words of Jesus actually involved the promise that was wrapped up in his name. I will be with you always. Go and make disciples of all nations, for lo, I will be with you always, even unto the ends or the end of this earth. See, with faith in that, that promise, guess what? We can face the uncertainties of any future. You want a sign that that's true? I'll give you one. Emmanuel. Here's your sign. Let's continue on.